a collection of everything so big it can never be catalogued or appraised. The loot of the world. You got five seconds to tell me where you buried the loot. Where's the loot? I don't, I don't know who's got the loot. I don't know if anybody's got the loot. Hello looters, welcome to episode 40 of Thief's Monthly Movie Loot, the podcast where I talk about the loot of films I watch every month. My name is Carlo and I'm here to talk about that. Episode 40, wow, I can't believe I've been doing this for so long, but that's thanks to each and every one of you that's listening, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Some promos, we dropped our special episode 6 a couple of days ago, where I talk about a specific scene from Mulholland Drive, so if you haven't heard it, feel free to check it out. We have our episode 39, the blockbuster loot, along with Ian from the Best Film Ever podcast, so there's that as well. But speaking of past episodes, one of our regulars, my friend Sylvie at Sly underscore Wit, listened to our episode 37 and got back to us. She said... Just watch The Wave from 2015, based on Carlos' recommendation, a great disaster movie with a European subtlety often lacking in similar Hollywood fare, plus a score that made me hate Hans Zimmer even more. A bit cliché at the end, but the stunning cinematography makes up for it. So thanks to Sylvie for the kind words. I'm glad you enjoyed the film. See, people, that's why you listen to Tiff's Monthly Movie Loot, to pick up great recommendations. There's also my guest episode on David Rosen's Piecing It Together podcast, where we talk about Spiral, one of my best friends since childhood with whom I hadn't talked in a good while. I mean, he's in the United States, I'm in Puerto Rico, but we talked the other day and he told me he listened to that. Another friend of us gave him the link and he said he was surprised. So as much as I shy away from sharing this with my real life friends, it's getting to them. So I'm going to own it. Benny, if you listen to this, thanks for the support, brother. Also, let's listen to some words from a friend. Hi friends, welcome to the trailer for Not Again, the podcast that brings college-level analysis to preschool-level content. I'm one of your hosts, Rebecca. Flynn is a fox. I'm very fascinated by Flynn because fox, the, Flynn is a predator, but also a child. So they have kind of like a bully... Uh, Bully recipient, what victim? There we go. Bully victim relationship. <laughs> I kind of like bully recipient. <laughs> bullying. Hello, my name is Rebecca. I'll be your bullying recipient today. And I'm your other host, Alan. He doesn't mingle. He's a man of 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 the Lord. So he just goes back to church, and eventually he decides I'm going to tell everybody that she's got powers. So he turns around. He goes to the reception. And goes, guys, I don't know how to tell you this. I think the queen has ice powers. Yeah, we know. <laughs> everybody saw the ice. Come join us. Every Every Saturday morning as we meticulously overanalyze kids' shows and movies that were never meant to be scrutinized that closely. Find us on Twitter at NotAgainPod. Bye, friends. Bye. And that was a great Bex Goose from the Not Again podcast. So if you want to dive into children's content like no children has dived before, check it out. I'm sure you're going to have fun with it. And finally, I want to thank my friend Keram for accepting my invitation for our next episode, which we already recorded. We had a lot of fun with that, so wait for that episode hopefully around mid-July. As for today, here at Thief's Monthly Movie Loot, I'll be sharing my thoughts on some of the films I saw last month, The June Loot. 
As most people know, I start every month with a set of random criteria to guide me on what to watch. This month, I finished watching 13 films in total, but as usual, I'm going to focus my discussion on the top 5 or 6 and then give some quick thoughts on the others. So let's begin with my loot of films for June. A film from the 1960s. For this category, I went with 1964 Woman in the Dunes. This film was recommended by an online friend and it is part of the Japanese new wave. It follows Junpei, played by Eiji Okada, a school teacher and entomologist that visits the desert looking for insects. Unfortunately, he's tricked by some locals and ends up trapped in a house in the bottom of a sand pit, along with the titular woman, played by Kyoko Kishida. As they ponder the possibilities for their escape, their prospects of life clash, but they also get closer, while the film makes an allegorical point about fate, freedom, free will, and adaptation or complacency. I was really blown away by this film. I love the unique way it treats themes like isolation, identity, life purpose, and also sexuality and primal instincts. I love the juxtaposition of an entomologist that goes to the desert to trap insects and put them inside a bottle, only to have himself trapped and put into a bottle himself. But it's made more interesting when you weigh in the reasons why he has been put there. But aside from the story, the film is technically impressive with great performance from Okada and Kishida, a beautifully haunting score by Toru Takemitsu, and a great direction by Hiroshi Teshigara. Definitely a great film, one that has stuck in my mind since I saw it, and the best film I saw this month, one that I totally recommend to anyone up for it. Woman in the Dunes is currently streaming on Criterion Channel, but it's also available for rent on Apple TV and Amazon. A film from the Criterion Collection whose number includes the number six. You know what he told me? He told me he had 160 acres in New Mexico and a big business. Look at it. We sell eight hamburgers a week and a case of soda pop and once in a while a Navajo rug, maybe. He married you, didn't he? Brought you out here, fed you, nursed you. And I thanked him plenty. I've been thanking him for five years. That makes us even. So long, Jack. Nice kid. Got a little jump on him this time, huh? Can't run after you, not lying there with those rocks on his legs. Look who's talking. Much you care about Leo. I'm on to you. You're working for a newspaper. All you want is something you can print. Honey, you like those rocks just as much as I do. For this category, I went with Criterion Collections number 396, Billy Wilder's Ace in the Hole. This is a film I had been meaning to see for a while. It follows Chuck Tatum, played by Kirk Douglas, an ambitious but disgraced reporter that has been exiled from New York to Albuquerque for reasons that go from his alcoholism and womanizing to his work ethics or lack of and simply burning too many bridges. But he's determined to get back on the horse at any cost. When he finds out about a local man that's trapped inside a cave, Tatum sees it as an opportunity to manipulate the news and rescue efforts for his own advantage. 
This is my sixth film from Billy Wilder, and I have to say he's becoming one of my favorite directors. Not only is the direction great, but the film is full of snappy dialogue, perfectly delivered by the cast. Douglas has always been great in anything I've seen him in, but he's also joined by Jan Sterling, who plays the selfish and egocentric wife of the poor guy in the cave. A woman that sees herself as trapped as her husband, since she craves a more meaningful life in the city. Porter Hall and Ray Teal also have great supporting performances as Tatum's non-nonsense boss and as a sleazy sheriff, respectively. But other than the performances and Wilder's direction, the film perfectly presents the themes of media manipulation, exploitation, the ethics of journalism, and the overall seediness of the press, as well as how gullible the public can be, all of which seem to be as relevant today as they were 70 years ago. The last act does stretches a bit too much, but it ultimately doesn't hinder the overall effect that much. I really, really like this one quite a bit. My friend Sylvie said, that's a good one. Then we went on to have a great discussion about Wilder's filmography and how Ace in the Hole fits in it, which she ranks very highly. My friend Tyler at A Film Addicted also joined in the discussion. Maximilian Marianne Heloise at Bizarro Film Fan said, Ace in the Hole was a great film. It was riveting, intense, and such powerful, timely story. But aside from that, I also saw 1997's The Game, which is Criterion's number 627, and ironically stars Douglas' son, Michael. This is one I had seen before several times, but wanted to see it again. The film follows Douglas as Nicholas Van Orton, an investment banker that has become so self-absorbed and isolated that his estranged brother, Conrad, played by a very, 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 very young Sean Penn, presents him with a unique gift which is supposed to make his life fun, he says. This turns out to be an elaborate game that blurs the lines between fiction and reality, eventually threatening Nicola's life. This is one I've always had fun with in terms of how it continuously sweeps the rug from under our feet, making us wonder what's real and what's not. I love how the film takes its time to set things up at first, but once it starts, it rarely lets go. Also, even though I don't think the script delves into it as much as one might like, I do like the bit of subtext about fate and freedom the film has. You know, is Nicholas' fate to end up like his father? What are his choices in the game and outside of the game? Again, the film doesn't really dive into it, but I like that it's asking the questions. Most of the complaints I've heard about it hang on the very last act, and I kinda understand, but I can't help but admire how bold it is. It blew my mind when I saw it back in the day, and it still manages to mess with my head a bit when I rewatch it. My friend Brian Scuttle at Scuttle Lemur said, The game is a dark and pulpy thriller from David Fincher that gives Michael Douglas a wild role in a terrific paranoia mystery. My friend Spooky Twinkletoes at Loser said, I think the game is an underrated Fincher gem, and I agree totally about that. A freebie. Your mother's reabsorption into the cycle of life won't be for nothing, my darling Elena. You will be the dawning of a new era for the human race. And the human soul. Let the new age of enlightenment begin. (laughs) 
My next top watch of the month was 2010 Beyond the Black Rainbow from Panos Cosmatos. Most people know him as the director of Mandy, but this was his first film and it was recommended by my great friend Keram at K. Maliki Sanchez. The film is set in 1983 and follows Dr. Barry Nile, played by Michael Rogers, the director at a new age research facility that's selling itself as a haven for those wanting to find true happiness. However, in reality, what he's doing is experimenting on unsuspecting patients, primarily a young woman called Elena, played by Eva Allen, who seems to have some level of telekinetic powers. This has got to be one of the most visually arresting films I've seen. Cosmatos makes an effort of conveying uneasiness, uncomfortability, dread, and mystery with pretty much every image. His clever use of colors and sterile aesthetics, a very appropriate set design, a hypnotic 80s synth score, and some odd, unique directorial choices make of this a film that will certainly stick with you afterwards. I could talk about Rogers, who is excellent in the role, conveying equal doses of contempt and disdain, along with insecurity and insanity, but what's in the forefront here are the visuals. So if you like mindfuck films, this is definitely one for you. Beyond the Black Rainbow is streaming free on Prime, Voodoo, and Tubi. A film about LGBTQ plus lifestyles. Do you mind this music? Do you like opera? I am not that familiar with opera, Andrew. Oh, this is my favorite aria. It's Maria Callas. It's Andrea Chenier. Umberto Giordano. This is Madalena. saying how during the French Revolution, a mob set fire to her house. And her, and her mother died, saving her. She's The place that cradled me is burning. Had this category because of Pride Month, and I went with a rewatch of Jonathan Demi's Philadelphia. It follows attorney Andrew Beckett, played by Tom Hanks, as he fights against his former employer after he is inexplicably fired. To aid him, he recruits fellow attorney Joe Miller, played by Denzel Washington, to help him prove that the dismissal was not only because of his AIDS diagnosis, but simply because he's gay. This is a film I hadn't seen in several years. I was reading a review from the late 2000s when I last saw it, where I was a bit more enthusiastic than I was now, but make no mistake, this is still a very, very powerful film with two excellent performances in the lead. Washington is his usual cool, laid-back self, but excels when the moment calls for him to show fear, ignorance, and lack of understanding. But oh my, how good is Tom Hanks in this? Yes, at the time it was a surprising turn from an actor that specialized in comedies and lighter fare, but seeing it now, already used to Hanks as a serious actor, I found his performance to be just as powerful as before, if not more. There are lots of moments of nuance and subtlety in his performance, both performances actually, but I think the peak is the scene from the clip I included and he's magnificent. 
The rest of the cast is just as solid with Antonio Banderas delivering a very natural and charismatic performance as Andy's boyfriend. Jason Roberts rounds out the main cast as Andy's boss, and although he's good as usual, his performance is a bit hampered by some clumsy dialogue and a script that antagonizes him too much. My friend Brian Scottle said Antonio Banderas is as good as Tom and Denzel in it, and Peggy at the movies agreed. So if you want to check it out, Philadelphia is currently streaming on Prime Video. A film with a repeated word in its title. My mommy is a doctor. My dad is a truck driver. My mom's a teacher. And your dad? My dad? He's a liar. A liar? Oh, I, I'm sure you don't mean a liar. Well... He wears a suit and goes to court and talks to the judge. Oh, I see. You mean he's a lawyer. Had this category because of Repeat Day, which was June 3, so I ended up rewatching one of my favorite comedies, Liar Liar. Actually, saw it on Father's Day, which also felt very appropriate. But anyway, I'm sure most people know the synopsis. Fletcher Reed, played by Jim Carrey, is a manipulative and conniving lawyer that tends to put his career and personal interests ahead, usually at the expense of his son Max. But things get complicated for him when, after missing his birthday, Max wishes that his father could not tell a lie for one day. As we all know, the wish comes true, unleashing all kinds of crazy shenanigans for Fletcher, who finds himself cornered by not being able to use his usual lies and tricks to manipulate the system and get ahead. Again, this is easily one of my favorite comedies. If you check out our second episode of the year, episode 31, The Comedy Loot, you'll see I put it number two on my ranking of favorite comedies. There isn't a day I see this film that I don't end up laughing out loud. The film was released in the middle of Carrie's previous crazy comedies like Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber, and The Mask, and his more serious dramatic attempts like The Truman Show, Men on the Moon, and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, but this one manages to find a perfect balance between his physical comedy and the earnest family drama at its core. Sure, the logistics of how Max Wish works doesn't hold up to close scrutiny, but you gotta let yourself get carried by Carrie, and he makes it work all the way. I might have some issues with the very last act, but I can lie, this one's almost perfect. My friend Thomas M. Willett at OptiGrab said, one of Jim Carrey's best 90s comedies with a great premise that plays into his strengths as a slapstick actor. Also, the pen is blue! My friend Robert Garcia at Bobby Bob PR said, Liar Liar to me is one of the most funniest movies of all time and one of the best in Jim Carrey's illustrious filmography. My friend Hologram H at H.M. Giles Wright said, Great one, Jim in his prime with an impeccable performance in this one. And finally, my friend Ken at InterKen said, I think of moments from this movie weirdly often for how long it's been since I last saw it. Mommy lies, Daddy lies, even the wonderful Jerry lies. So if you want to check it out, Liar Liar is available for rent on Apple TV, Amazon, Voodoo, and many other services. So that was my June loot, or what I think were the best films I saw this month. Woman in the Dunes, Ace in the Hole, The Game, Beyond the Black Rainbow, Philadelphia, and Liar Liar. But like I said in the opening, those were not the only ones, so I also want to touch briefly on the other films I saw this month. My minor loot. A film from Sweden. Sweden's National Day was June 6, so I was on the hunt for a Swedish film, and I found a 2021 film called Red Dot. 
I went to Netflix and browsed Swedish films and the title and cover caught my eye. It follows a couple that's out on a hiking trip when they suddenly start being hunted by an unknown, unseen shooter with a rifle scope, the laser dot from which gives title to the film. This was certainly a pleasant surprise. The film caught me off guard and I totally recommend it. It's not perfect, but if you do decide to watch it, be patient and stick with it until it's done. It's worth it. A film with the word summer in its title. Summer officially started in June 20, so I decided to see a film with the word summer in its title. Settled on a 2015 little-known film called Summer Camp, it follows three American counselors working on a summer camp in Spain when a mysterious rage-inducing virus starts spreading around. Even though the premise sounds like familiar ground, the film does pack a few surprises and subverts some of the tropes of the genre, but most of all, it's a lot of fun. I'd say it's worth a try. Summer Camp is streaming free on Vudu and Tubi. A film with Peter Lorre. The great Peter Lorre was born in June 26, so I wanted to check one of his films. I went with 1950s film noir Quicksand. The film follows Dan Brady, played by Mickey Rooney, a car mechanic that in his attempt to woo Vera, a mysteriously shady woman played by Jean Cagney, finds himself involved in an escalating chain of criminal events. Lorre plays the city owner of an arcade that has a history with Vera and who clashes with Brady. His role is small, but he is excellent in what little screen time he has. The film's last act is a bit problematic, but it's still a fairly entertaining watch. Quicksand is streaming free on Prime. A horror film. For this category, I went with 1981's The Prowler. If you listen to our previous episode 37, The Hidden Loot, me and guest Tyler, we talk a bit about this film, which is why I wanted to check it out. It follows a killer targeting teenagers during the graduation dance at a small town. The premise is typical of most slashers, although being released in 1981, you could argue that it was one of the first to establish that premise. The film has several things on its favor that sets it apart from other slashers. The main girl is competent, the chases are well staged, and the kills are pretty raw, thanks to Tom Savini's special effects. But it's dragged by some unnecessary subplots that lead nowhere. Regardless of that, it's worth a watch, particularly if you're a fan of slashers. My friend Ed from the Film Effect podcast said, Prowler fan right here. I think it's one of Savini's best work and it was filmed not far from where I live too. My friend Descartes at Doug Carlin 2006 said, good luck, horrible midsection but stellar effects from Savini. So if you want to check the Prowler, it is streaming free on Vudu and Tubi. A film with the number six in its title. For this category, I went with 1989 Deep Star 6. The film follows the crew of the titular underwater station as they have to deal with a sea creature that starts to attack them. The main issue with the film is that there's a certain laziness to it that neuters any potential effect that it could have. From its obvious ripoffs of Alien to the stupid exposition, decisions and empty banter between the characters and in which the film spends about an hour before showing the creature full. In addition, director Sean Cunningham doesn't really know how to sustain any kind of tension and the editing is choppy as hell, so the result is a pretty mediocre creature film. If you still want to check it out, Deep Star 6 is streaming free on Prime. My friend JRods34 said, don't remember this one, but Leviathan is where it's at. So, since Jay mentioned it, I thought what the heck, let's go with Leviathan. Released in the same year, Leviathan follows an underwater mining crew that stumbles upon a Soviet shipwreck carrying a deadly mutant creature that obviously starts killing them one by one. 
Obviously, the premise and the story is fairly similar to Deep Star 6, but not only that, the film is plagued by the same laziness and lack of effort from its screenwriters, basically ripping off The Thing, Alien, Aliens, Jaws, and many others. There are some decent production values and the performances are not awful, but the film is so predictable that there's not much to hang on to here. One interesting thing is that the film was directed by George Cosmatos, who is the father of Panos, director of Mandy and Beyond the Black Rainbow, which I discussed earlier. So there's a nice little connection to close the list and a nice little contrast between the styles of father and son. This month I also rewatched Mulholland Drive, but if you want to hear my thoughts on that film, like I said on the opening, you can hear my special episode 6, which is already available. My friend Cat on a ledge at moral underscore decision said, I came here to say something about Mulholland Drive and could only think of David Lynch's shorts. I'll see myself out. Which is kind of the state of mind that Lynch's films usually leave you. So those were my thoughts on the 13 films I saw during the month of June. Now that July has started, these are the categories I've chosen for the next loot. A film with the number 7 in its title. A film that starts with the letters M or N. A film from the Criterion Collection whose number includes the number 7. A film from the 1970s. A musical. A film with America in the title. A film with Kiss in the title. A film about astronauts or set in space. A film from Colombia. And a film from Sidney Pollack. So as usual, if you have any recommendations for any of those categories, let me know. You can contact me primarily via Twitter at TiffCGT or at the podcast account at TMML2021. Now it's time for... Useless Movie Trivia. Did you know that Bill Murray was considered for the role of Batman back in the late 1980s? Yes, as the film went through pre-production, many directors were attached to the project at some point, including Ivan Reitman, who had worked with Murray in Meatballs, Stripes, and Ghostbusters. Reitman had plans of doing a more comedic take on The Dark Knight, so he wanted Murray for the role of the Cape Crusader, and guess who he wanted to play Robin? One Eddie Murphy. Unfortunately, we were denied that pleasure as the script went through more rewrites and Reitman stepped out of the project. However, now that I know it, I won't be able to get the image of Murray and Murphy as Batman and Robin out of my mind. So that was it for... Useless Movie Trivia. And that's it for episode 40. Remember to stay tuned for our next episode sometime in the middle of July with my friend Ketam, where we'll be talking about mindfuck films. Also, follow us on Twitter or Instagram so you can stay up to date on all the episodes we release. Whatever you're listening, share the link so more people can join us in the loot. Thanks for listening, people, and keep looting. Greta, don't leave! I'm on my knees in a $900 suit! Mr. Reed, several years ago, a friend of mine had a burglar on her roof. A burglar. He fell through the kitchen skylight, landed on a cutting board on a butcher's knife, cutting his leg. The burglar sued my friend. He sued my friend, and because of guys like you, he won! My friend had to pay the burglar $6,000. Is that justice? No. I'd have got him 10. Goodbye, Mr. Reed. No, 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 wait. I didn't understand the question. Ask me again. Ask me again. Have a nice day in court. Greta!